And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Sports are back. Seriously, they are back. Save 40% on The Athletic right now. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. NHL, MLB, NBA, NFL, whatever you want. Subscribe and save If you sign up now, you can see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash leafreport, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash leafreport for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. James, we have an actual game to talk about. Isn't that crazy? Five months? What is it, five months? Yeah, I was reading something that said that it was like 150 days or something between games and a normal regular season from like the end of the Stanley Cup to uh, the start of the preseason is, it's normally a lot less than that. So it was one of the longest stretch in our lives without NHL hockey. I think that's, that's a safe way to put it, other than you know the full season lockout but even when the full season lockout happened there were other, all the other leagues were still playing and there was still there was right. still hockey so um you know i'm not gonna lie i played a lot of video game hockey waiting for this day for the, <laughs> the games to come back and the only the only disappointing thing i would say is that it was pretty clear watching the games last night and i watched calgary and edmonton as well is that it it was it was definitely preseason hockey like it was definitely i i, I don't know what you thought you know being there but i thought Leafs Montreal that the intensity level was not even at regular season level for me. It was at like seventy percent speed, maybe. Yeah. Like in terms of like the, the effort level, like you could just see it in like little things. Uh, like I remember at one point John Tavares went behind the net and instead of like finishing his check, 
he kind of just like lightly tapped the guy and moved on. It was it was a lot of that stuff. But let no me ask you before. Hurt. No, no one right. To get hurt. Of course. Like that's but the, the way they were playing. Yeah, but like the challenge is like that's it, and then the next game means everything. Um, so let me ask you first, like, what was it like watching on TV? Because I know from watching a lot of baseball in the last few days, it's it just lacks the the atmosphere that you're used to, and it it's not as exciting. It just doesn't have the same juice. Was it like that on TV for the game? I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. Like. It, it was a bit, it's going to take some time to get used to the fact that what you're talking about, like the, the difference in atmosphere, like just the fact, like, it's almost like they're skating in a parking lot or something like that. Yeah. Like, you, you know, like they go with hockey, there's not a way they can like baseball. They can probably not show the crowd that much. Right. Like they can show on the field, but in hockey, when they're like swinging behind the net for a breakout or whatever, like they show the whole backdrop and it's just like this big gray space. Like I almost wonder if, I don't know. I wonder if they should have picked a different color or done something different with that background, but it's just like, you know, it, 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 it kind of reminds me of watching like one of those European tournaments where there's no fans there. Like it's like a world junior tournament that, you know, that isn't really well attended. And, you know, I've, I've covered events like that where there's, I've covered games where there's a hundred fans in a, in a, in a bigger building and, so it's not completely unprecedented, but for it to be an NHL game at the Scotiabank Arena um, with that environment, it's it's weird. I mean, this whole year has been weird, and this is just like we're just adding more layers on top of it right now. Yeah, I I, I, I hear you, and I, and I think you know something they they've done in a few stadiums in baseball that I I'm surprised I actually like is they put out cut up uh, like cutouts of fans. Yeah. In the yeah. seats or that you see most, and yeah, actually, it looks more like it, normal. It looks yeah. more normal, and I actually kind of like it, and I'm surprised that I like it. And that's baseball. It's it's actually more so where they look in the crowd because there's so much time in between pitches and, and pitching changes and all that kind of thing. Like they need the crowd to kind of lend some color. Um, but even just so being there, it felt like watching like a a scrimmage during training camp and obviously they're wearing different uniforms and all that and they play music between whistles but it just didn't have the same atmosphere now maybe that's because it's an exhibition game but i wonder if it's gonna be i guess it'll be different just because a playoff game the intensity will will be so high but even when someone scored like when mckayev scores that first goal there's like no reaction and and obviously they they blow the the horn but usually you hear the crowd kind of roar and that kind of stuff was just gone. And, and even in a playoff game, I wonder like what that's going to feel like. Well, I know for us, one of the one of the differences between covering a playoff game and a regular season game is the environment and the crowd. Like that's one of the biggest differences. Like in our job, you go to, you know, on a regular year, you'll go to, you know, 40 to 60 regular season games. I mean, I know in past years, you've gone to every single regular season game. You go to a lot of preseason games, you go to a lot of practices and whatever. But then that first day of the playoffs, you walk into TD Garden or whatever, and the crowd, just like the the atmosphere is so much different. And and as I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that um, sometimes you get numb going to the games, like a regular season game. It's like, oh, another regular season game, and it's the same, and it's the same, it's the same. But then the playoffs is different, and the difference is the buzz, and that's not there. So that now there's a different difference, <laughs> and it's 
you know, I wasn't at the game. You know, the NHL is only letting us have one person at each game. Um, I'm going to go to the, the Rangers and Hurricanes, which is the first, quote-unquote, real game um, of this tournament. Um, but I, I think that on TV, we will get used to it. I think that, like, I think being there is more weird than TV. Because TV, like, the, you know, the the play looks relatively similar. The commentary is the same. You know, I thought they did a pretty good job with it. How did it sound like they, they piped in fan noise? Is that right? I didn't, I didn't, honestly, it, I didn't find that really, like, it's just like a low hum almost during the play. Like, it's not like, they they don't put like random people yelling stuff. And I, it, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't find that it, I, I, I didn't have the volume super loud, but I didn't find that it, I really noticed it that much, to be honest. I think, I wonder if maybe I would have noticed it if they didn't have that low hum, like if it just would have been like dead silence with like a guy skating around. And maybe that, that ambient noise is, is important. Um, I don't know. I, as, as someone like in the media who likes to kind of study hockey and talk about it, I, I almost want to on TV to just see what's real. Like, I don't want to see fake fans and I don't want to see fake noise. And I just want to like see what's actually happening instead of being like given an illusion. But I can see why they're trying to make it an entertainment product. So they're adding some of those elements there. But I feel like we would get used to some of the unusual things over time. Maybe, but like it is entertainment and that's that's part of why they do what they do. And like all this has kind of just reminded me of how important I never thought about this before because we never had to think about it, but like how important fans are to shaping the atmosphere of a game. Like what you were talking about with going to a playoff game, like even for us, we're not playing in the game. We're just covering it. There's like a different energy going to the rink. Like there's almost like a a nervousness because you really don't know what's going to happen. And the game is so important. And every fan basically comes into the rink feeling that and every player comes in feeling that. And I wonder what it's going to be like for them when they come in and that's not there. And, and the other thing is you notice in, in certain buildings and in certain situations that the crowd can have an impact. Like that that game, we've talked about game seven in Boston. Like that that is a thing. I remember even, this is not a, a hockey story, but I remember one time um, when the Leafs were on the road and a few of the people covering the game, um, the night before we went and saw the Celtics play. And the Celtics got down like 25 points. But the crowd did not give up. Anything positive they did, the crowd was in it. And they cheered. And the Celtics came back. And it was like this remarkable comeback. And it all felt like it was fueled by the crowd. So I wonder what well, impact that has. the 4-1 game was like that too, don't you think? Yeah, like, same like thing. The crowd yeah, 100%. Just, like, I know some people left, but most of them stayed. And as soon as they scored the 4-2 goal, it was like... I don't know. Like the the pressure in that in in that building is amazing. Like it, that the Boston crowds are definitely some of the well, best in the league. And then James, like what they do, which is smart, is when there's a TV timeout, they play shipping off to Boston, and that just gets the crowd even more going. <laughs> and you can just feel it. And you can imagine being a player on the opposite bench, just being like, "Oh shit!" Like this this they're coming back. Like this is going to happen again. Um, so that's gone, and maybe that helps some teams. Like. There's no home ice advantage outside of having last change and, and such. You know what, Jonas? Like, I often think back to, because, because this is our job, because this is what we do for a living, sometimes I think about, like, 
like why is why am i why did i end up on this path and why do i love hockey <laughs> so much and like i think back to the very i remember the very first hockey game i ever went to that was like with like a real game with a crowd and whatever and it was a Cam's blazers game and the building was completely sold out and it was thousands of people and my dad and i were sitting like in row 12 or whatever we were pretty close to the ice and uh i just remember like the crowd getting up and cheering and like how loud it was and how amazing it was and i had never experienced that in my life like being in a bill in a room with thousands of people with everyone cheering and it just like blew my like seven-year-old mind <laughs> and i remember experiencing that again the first leafs game i ever went to was round two of the playoffs 2004 leafs flyers i was with the hockey news uh as an intern i can't remember what game it was it was like game do they have home ice in that series i don't think they did i think it was game three or game four and I had, I had I had been to NHL playoff games before. I had been to some in, in Vancouver as a fan. This is the first game I'd ever been to as a media member. It was a playoff game. It was in Toronto. And I just remember the crowd. And I remember standing up there in the press box for the first time. And I was like, fuck, like, this is what I want to do for my job. Like, this is what I want to do for a living. And it was like the atmosphere that made me feel that. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, it, part of it is like like we love hockey and we love the, but it's, one of the great things about sports is that kind of, uh, I don't know, like the the electricity that that that's they it. create. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that that's there's an elemental thing there that that that's what first made me love hockey, and that's that I just I have these moments where you just really remember what it was like being there, or what it was like watching and the tension, and and I hope that it still feels like that. Well, I mean, the worst game or the worst arena to cover a game uh, in in the NHL, arguably, is is in Florida. Um, now, partly that's there's just not that many fans, and the fans that do show up are mostly Leaf fans. But there's just no buzz in the building, and I don't think that's going to happen because it's the playoffs and and everything like that. But and, and hey, maybe it doesn't matter. Like it, everyone's going to be watching at home and on TV and. Yeah, It'll, well, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Right? Like, the atmosphere in the building probably doesn't matter. Like, how many media people were there? 20? 30? Something like that. But it matters to the, the, the teams. Like, it, it does have an yeah. impact on the game. And that's, but that's I think what I'm the, curious about. But I think the players, like, they've played hockey for their whole lives. Like, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've played some, like, important sport. Like, like any yeah. important sports moment that I've been a part of didn't have a big crowd cheering for me. Yeah, like, but you're, you haven't spent your career playing in front of 20,000. Like, so I'm just picturing little things, James. Like, so you walk out for the, the game, like, to even the pregame warm-up. You walk out, and you would just naturally, like, the crowd is into it. The crowd is watching you. You walk out for the national anthem. You look up at the crowd. You feel the energy. You feel the buzz. None of that's there. And now you'll be able to pump yourself up and motivate yourself, obviously, because of the stakes. But I just wonder, like, how not having that element uh, will shape some of these games. Especially, I mean, you're not going to have that situation uh, for, let's say, Boston, where that, like, the crowd is, like, actually yeah. an advantage. Or even, like, I don't yeah, know what other buildings help. come to That mind. might help the Leafs, though. Like, Yeah, they, oh, for know, sure. You, yeah. You say that, yeah. and, like, this, that might help some. Maybe some players don't feed off the crowd. Like, we don't know. But maybe some players, it's like they just tune it all out and they don't care and or they feed the negatively won't. off of it like it impacts yeah. them right maybe jake like Gardino i was thinking have a huge playoff uh, not nice i was thinking actually well, of frederick I anderson he i know said you the crowd jake bothered Gardner. him i know yeah i like I, jake gardner 
He's a good, I actually was thinking he's a great person and a good player. Yes. I was actually thinking more for someone like Anderson, um, where you could yeah. you could feel like in, in spots where the crowd can get to him, and I wonder with no crowd what kind of impact that has on someone like him. So we can start there. Um, he's not the big headline of the game, um, but I think the fact that he looked good is positive. It's one game; it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's better than him getting lit up for five goals or something. Yeah. I, but Montreal didn't look very good to me. Like they don't have a lot of offensive weapons, and I mean, I think that I, I've been. I, I'm going to do a deep dive preview for the Athletic uh, tomorrow uh, on the series, and I so I've been looking at a lot of video and a lot of analytics and things on on Columbus. I mean, I and Toronto too, but I obviously I know I'm familiar with the Toronto stuff. And the the thing that I noticed about Columbus is that they're just. I know everyone's talked about how they're they're a really grinding team, but analytically they actually they throw a lot of pucks on net they get a lot of zone time they're not far off the Leafs in terms of possession uh, expected goal share they're a very different stylistic team to the Leafs they're a low event team but Anderson's going to see like a lot of garbage and stuff chucked at him and if he's not good they're going to get enough chances that they can make an impact in the game so they need they need Anderson to be at least solid and ideally good yeah, I think it actually puts a lot of pressure on him, the fact that Columbus doesn't score a lot and the way that they do grind, like you're mentioning. They're going to be looking for bad goals, man. Like, they're going to be... And they're going to be... You, you look at the defensive metrics for Columbus, and they're elite. Like, they're yes. very, very good defensively. And they have good goaltending. So, like, the Leafs might only be able to score two or three goals. They might only be able to score one goal in some games. So, if, if Anderson lets in one crappy knuckle puck or something and the other thing too is columbus has got good defensemen in terms of generating offense so there's going to be a lot of crap coming his way i was just surprised that the the kind of the shot volume that columbus generates on net is the same level as toronto like they're actually getting a lot of pucks to the net they're just they don't have the high-end offensive talent which is toronto's advantage but if anderson's bad it might not matter like they might be able to score with a bunch of that crap so yeah, that that's one of the things that I, I that really stands out about Columbus is it's not like it's not like they have no offense. They just don't have like Matthews and Tavares and but they have some they have some decent shooters and they're going to be able to get some openings. So they need Anderson to be they need him to be at least average, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think he needs to. I think this is like kind of the time like I wrote a bit about him um as one of the guys who's kind of most under pressure in these playoffs. And, like, you look at some of the five-on-five numbers for him as a Leaf, and they're very good. And yet, you you kind of feel this way about his, his postseason year after year after year, that at certain points, he's just been a little too shaky. And now, like, the penalty kill for the Leafs, huge problem. That might be better this year. It looks better. Um, but... You kind of need him to give you that calm that you want in a playoff goaltender. And I'm sorry, like, if he's facing Merzlikens or he's facing Corpusalo, he needs to be the better goalie. Like, at some point, like, otherwise, yeah. like, what? It, what is this all about? Like, the why reason you you're... Him, why, why are you, you paying, paying him? Why exactly. million? Like, yes, exactly. You know, if, some that, other, if some other team's got younger guys without experience that they're not paying a lot of money and, and they're way better than you, then... I mean, obviously, Elvis is kind of a unique situation coming over from Europe where he was very good in the Swiss League. But, you know, I've been talking to Aaron Portsline 
the Columbus beat writer a lot lately, and he's a huge Elvis believer, and he thinks that this is going to be his coming out party in the NHL, and that he could potentially steal the series. And if you're a Leafs fan or you're the Leafs yourself, you got to be. That's a pretty scary proposition. And if you look at Elvis's results in uh, in the Swiss League in the playoffs, he's a pretty he's a big game goalie, so, and that's a good league. Like that's not mm-hmm. that's one of the best leagues in Europe, especially for goalies coming out of it. So I. This is, I, I honestly think that if Anderson, th- this could decide if Anderson's back next year. I think this series can decide that. Yeah, it's actually an interesting thing. And, and you and I, I think, wrote about that at, at one point during the pause. And, and you did make some good points about that. Because with the cap being what it is, if, if he has kind of another shaky playoffs, if you're management, you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth paying him $5 million when we could just get a guy for cheaper, I don't know who that guy is, and devote those resources elsewhere. Like, if this guy is not going to be the difference, why are we paying him? And the other thing, too, is that if if you... Uh, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves here because Anderson might be great in this series and, and carry yeah, them. And, and uh, sure. You know, he's just he's had a kind of, uh, you know, a mediocre season. But if you trade Anderson and you bring in a goalie that makes, say, two and a half or three million, you might not have to trade Kapanen or Janssen. And then all of a sudden your forwards yeah. are really deep. Like their forward group looks really good if they don't have to move out some guys to get under the cap. Um, if you're confident in that two and a half million dollar or three million dollar goalie and Jack Campbell be giving you similar to what Anderson gave you, then I don't know. I, to me, it's a realistic option. Uh, it's and I mean maybe you can get something for Anderson in a trade. Well, and the other thing obviously is is he's I think he's about to turn or turns thirty one soon. Uh, he's obviously a UFA after next year, and and you're right. You, you know he may come out and perform really well, and that would that would change, that would really change the narrative around his season. Like if he has this great playoffs after a really rough regular season, going into next year, all the chatter about him will kind of die down. And if he has a good regular season, then then it will become well, how do the Leafs let this guy go and all that kind of stuff. And and you look back like that that Washington series, he was good. Like I I. I can't remember every goal off the top of my head obviously he was he was fine i like holtby was he a was right better. there right yeah he was he was fine yeah but hmm. i want maybe it's a boston thing or maybe the i think you're probably right i think the crowd probably does get to him a little bit and i don't it's it's a big you did you did kind of like the nine leaps most under pressure to perform kind of ranking yesterday and i remember i said to you when you were working on that you better put anderson number one because you know <laughs> this is a kind of this is this playoff and this series is a defining moment for Anderson in his career. Is is he just kind of like an average number one goalie who never really accomplishes anything in the postseason, or is he something more? I mean, it's time for him. We've talked about this before. The Leafs aren't the underdog anymore. It's time for him to lead his team to some some meaningful victories. Well, if you look at like his stats, he's, I think, I haven't looked to include this year, but he's always kind of been in like the 10 to 12 range. And maybe that's what he is. Like, and maybe that's that's what he is. And maybe he 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 can't find that next level. We'll see. Um, obviously, Nick Robertson plays his first game of any kind in the NHL. Um, what? Let's let's go first. What did you see from home watching him? I actually thought that you know I saw the one scrimmage, and I really keyed on watching Robertson because I was working on something a column I was potentially going to write. And I watched the scrimmage, and I came away with some doubts about him. Um, I think I said that on the podcast a little bit last week with with Ray Ferraro. But um, 
I could just see that he his skating didn't have a gear that some of the other. But I, you know, I was watch. I think I was watching him comparing him to Kapanen and Matthews and like some of the best players in the world. And um, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. Like maybe I, I. Anyway, I thought in game situations, I thought Robertson was more effective than what I had seen kind of at camp and in the scrimmage. I don't know if that if that jives with what you thought, but he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes, but he didn't look way out of place. Like I I liked it's, it's almost like when he's in the battle and when he's on the puck, he's really effective despite, even though he's a small guy, he's very feisty. He gives them a different element along the boards. Um, You look at the assist that he got and that was really, you look at the lead up to that play and he's really battling and fighting for the puck. You know, I think that he should be on the team I think that you start him on that third line, and if he struggles, you drop him to the fourth line. But, you know, he looks like an NHL player to me, and there's going to be bumps in the road because he's 18. But I just, you can't, he, there's something about him that's very, um, he's one of those fan, guys that's going to be a fan favorite. Like, he's going to just, oh yeah, you know, he's, he's really, you know, uh, it's too bad the crowd's not there, because if they were for that game, and he, you know, if he he goes through those battles for the puck and gets it back, he, like, the crowd would have been going crazy for that, you know. Um, he just seems like a really determined, magnetic kid, and I think he's going to have a really good NHL career. The, the question is, is he ready or not? And, and I think after watching that game, I think probably he's ready. <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know what you think. Yeah, see, that's so I feel like I've been really maybe even like overly aggressive with with how much I think he should be on the team. Like I remember writing in I don't remember sometime early in the pause about like some players who intriguing players or something. And I included him, um, even though he wasn't even on the team or even like theoretically in the mix at that point. Um, And two days into camp, like I wrote that he's going to force his way to the roster. I'm a little less sure now than I was before. I think you can build a case either way. I think you can build a case based on what we've seen for everything that I thought, which is what you're talking about, that there is something different about him. Uh, There's a threat. I think he gives that line that they don't have. I think he's a shooter, clearly. Engvall is not a shooter. Kapanen's not a shooter. Kerfoot's obviously not a shooter. I think that's important. I think... You mentioned the board play. Like, he's really good in those small spaces. He's got this low center of gravity. He is really small physically. Like, he's 164 pounds, and you could see even in that game and in the scrimmages, he can be pushed off the puck pretty easily. So you can kind of make a case. Like, if if you watch the scrimmages and you watch training camp and you watch that game, you could come out of that saying, he's not ready. You could also come out of that saying, you know what? He can give us that that extra lift potentially that someone like Engvall cannot. Like even the chance that he had where he didn't score, where he gets in tight and he just loses control of the puck. There, like that's not happening with Engvall. Like he just doesn't have that skill set. And I think that upside is what's going to put him over the top. That that he might be the guy who gets you to goal to win a game. And I think that's why. I think you're probably right that you start with him. And if he looks completely overwhelmed in game one, you just change it up. And and like, I I think that the other thing that we got to consider is that the player that you're potentially sitting, if, if Robertson comes in is, it might not even be Engvall. It might be Goche, right? Like it might. Yeah. It's possible that, and I don't know. 
I mean, the question isn't a well, certain... James. Yeah, go ahead. Just sorry. The the, the one thing to that you you reminded me of something. That fourth line, like I don't know how much that fourth line is going to play. Like we're, go- I wonder how much we saw it in the regular season. Like if he's willing to play Matthews and Marner twenty five minutes in the regular season, right? I wonder what it'll look like in a playoff game. And so maybe that fourth line barely plays, right? And maybe you just rather have Robertson on the bench as an option than go yeah. to or Engvall. Yeah, yeah. I think that if the coach was different, that Robertson probably wouldn't wouldn't go. Like it's there's a risk factor involved. Like. You know, I saw at the scrimmages that, you know, Robertson, you know, there were some turnovers and like, it's not like there's, it's not like it's a foolproof plan. It's not like there's no downside here. Like you're talking about how he might create the element where they, he creates a goal, but he could create a goal for the other team too. Like it's not out of the question. It's just the pace of play is something he's never experienced before that, that that stands out. So it's such a big jump from the OHL to the NHL. Like it's. I remember when Marner did it, and I remember Marner coming into camp and being like, holy shit, like, you know, a lot of people were wrong about this guy. Because I remember the first couple of days of camp and preseason, whatever, it's like he's, he was one of the best players right away. Um, and I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say Robertson has done the same thing. Um, but that doesn't, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm talking. No, he doesn't, like, to your point, yeah. like, it's not a slam dunk. Like, you don't watch him and say, like, 100% he is ready for the NHL right now. Um, like there was a moment and, and this is where like the fanless arena kind of helped where he didn't know what to do in a certain situation defensively. And Riley was kind of just like pointing him as to where he should be. Right. And if that's like a playoff game and that's a key yeah. moment and it ends up in the back of your net, that can cost you a game. Like that's the other side right. of it. Like the difference it slightly with not slightly, but the difference with Marner's a Marner is. Not that this matters because, like, Robertson just had this incredible OHL season. But Marner was a top five pick. He had a whole training camp, a whole exhibition season. He was older. He's older, slightly older. Um, And this is, like, the weirdest situation you could possibly be playing your first NHL games in. Like, this is is fucking weird. And it's it's unsettling. Maybe maybe the lack of fans and the pressure feels makes it feel more like for Robertson that it's less like an NHL playoff game you know it's you know it was there's something so cool about his story though like I was watching the start of the game with my son who's five years old and he was you know and I, I said this guy he's 18 years old he's only he's like he's like 13 years older than you he's he's basically a kid and he and he's a little guy and he's playing for the Leafs and my son was like like he loved it he thought it was so interesting and like I don't know. It's, I, I just, I don't want to crush the kid with expectations because it's, hope, and he's such a good story, you know. And, and in the media, one of the people always say like, "Oh, you, you know, do you cheer for the Leafs?" Or like, it's like, no, like you kind of cheer for the stories. And he's one of the ones that, you know, if we get to write like a positive Nick Robertson story during these playoffs, it'll be that'll be a fun thing to do. You and I'll fight over who gets to do it. <laughs> I think he's going to be in the lineup in game one. But so and do I. Another thing, yeah. And and another thing, like, we, we haven't touched on, which is a small thing, but, like, even just his presence on the their second power play is something that, that that's an addition. Like, they just, like... Yeah, the second power play unit wasn't very impressive most of the year. So It, it so just doesn't have a, a for, guy, right? For the listeners, can you explain kind of what the setup's going to be? It's going to be... Uh, is it is it Barry is, or, or Riley... Um, Spezza, 
Like, what's the second power play unit going to look like? Well, so it'll be Riley, Spezza, Robertson, if he's in it, Kapanen, and Kerfoot. And so the okay. guy he knocks out is, is Zach Hyman around the net. But you could just see, like, well, they need a, that, he they need the shot. They need the they shot. They need the shot. Yeah, like Kerfoot. Yeah. And that was right. always... Kerfoot and Kapanen don't shoot enough for a power play unit. And, and Spezza doesn't shoot yeah. either, right? So... No, and that was always Mike Babcock's thinking with that second unit is he wanted Nylander on there to give them a threat. And obviously that, that changed after Sheldon Keefe took over, but you could see what he was trying to do. Robertson gives them a little bit of that. And I just like, another thing I like is the possibility of just when things are kind of stale, he's another guy that you could maybe throw out with Matthews and Marner or Matthews and Nylander. Yeah. And maybe it creates something, which and we that's know just not there. Keith likes otherwise. to do that, yeah, yeah. And especially yeah. when Mikheyev was hurt, he didn't have a lot of options for guys to throw on those. Like, you know, he would put Kerfoot there, but I don't think they're going to be able to do that because they need Kerfoot at three C. And you know, they had Malgin there, and like they were really struggling. And and Keith really likes to have those kind of wild card lines that throws the other team for a loop and yes. and, and kind of gives his players a different look. And I think when he has done that at times, when he has used a wild card line it's it's worked like it's it's noticeably changed created yeah. something interesting it creates a momentum and and i think if you're going to have all that talent why not get it together sometimes like that was one of the that's one benefit is like why not have Tavares go out with Matthews and Marner the odd shift like who knows what what it'll do to the momentum maybe it gets you a goal and you look at those minutes like they just destroy teams when those guys play yeah. together which isn't totally surprising yeah um yeah like the expected goals and those things are just like off the charts right yeah it's insane and i think the most effective one and and like you can take it for what it's worth like they're sporadic minutes but i believe the most effective one was neander Tavares, matthews mm-hmm. so that's a pretty good whatever. one pretty good line all right jonas we just need to take a little pause here to delve into something a little different the final 22 teams have made their way to orlando and are ready to get back out on the court for the nba and while the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past there will not be a shortage of excitement there's no better place to get in all of the action than DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy sports to celebrate the return of basketball DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resume season, so get in on all of the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now, use promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Great stuff, James. All right. I mentioned Kerfoot, um, and you mentioned he's back playing center. And that's one of the ripple effects of having Ilya Mikheyev back in the lineup is suddenly you have another top six forward, so you can play Kerfoot at center. He looked really good. Um, I've, I've We've talked about him a bit on the podcast, and I've mentioned that I'm intrigued by him, and I think 
the addition now, and this is what we should touch on a little bit, uh, it looks like he's going to play a bigger role in the penalty kill. They started using him on the penalty kill later in the year. Not much, like here and there, like fifth option. It was something he hadn't done in the NHL. It was something he hadn't done since college. Um, but you can see um, the upside that, that he brings. He can take faceoffs. He is uh, someone you can pair with Kapanen. It just kind of deepens them. It changes their look a little bit. What was your impression of uh, Kerfoot? I mean, I thought he looked good. I thought that whole line looked good. You know, they they had uh, Kapanen played really well too. I mean, the goal, one of the goals that Kerfoot scored, Kapanen almost tucked it around uh, Carey Price there with yeah. a really nice move. And I think that they need an option to have a center on the penalty kill. I mean, it, going with all wingers and and not having anyone that that is really good on the draw is. We were talking about this during the game last night. Like, if 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 people remember correctly. They, they tried it last year against Boston in the playoffs, and Hyman was getting crushed in the faceoff circle by Patrice Bergeron, which, like, most people get crushed by him. But if you're not even using a natural center, uh, and it, it cost them at least one goal in that series. And in this series against Columbus, every moment and every goal is going to be so important. And while normally the importance of faceoffs is hugely overblown, if you're taking a defensive zone draw on the penalty kill, it's not overblown because if you can win that draw and dump the puck all the way down, it's it's a big difference. And, you know, Kerfoot's uh, face-off percentage this year was just okay, but last year he was really, really good. Um, he's a decent skater. He's he's pretty smart. I liked some of the plays he was making just to kind of rag the puck and, and dump it out and things like that that I saw. I mean, you were telling me, I didn't know this, you were telling me that Kerfoot hadn't played on a penalty kill in a long, long time. He didn't do it in Colorado. I know that. Um, so it's, it's kind of a little bit outside the box, but the Leafs are in such a unique situation where none of their centers is a natural penalty killer, which I, I don't think I've ever seen before on an NHL team. It's really weird. And none of their wingers is a natural fit at center. Most of the time when you get to the NHL level, you get a lot of wingers that are converted centers that have been moved over. The Leafs, I, I don't think hardly have any. It's really, really unusual. So they're kind of stuck a little bit, but I think that I think that Kerfoot's the right choice. It, I just, in hindsight, would have liked to see them try it a little bit more during the season because he really hasn't had a lot of reps there. On average, um, he had played only something like 15 seconds a game on the penalty kill this season. So it's going to be an adjustment for him, but it's something that they've been working on in camp, and 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 I think it makes sense. And if you have a big draw, then and and Hyman is struggling to win them, then you you can potentially go with that unit. Yeah. So he played a total of i think 17 and a half minutes and i just remember the only reason it's funny how much you forget about what happened but i just remember going up to him after a morning skate and be like you're on the penalty kill now what's that like and he just had this big smile on his face and he told me how he was kind of getting adjusted to doing it again because he hadn't done it in so long but here's how is this for a stat from last year to illustrate our point so power or penalty kill during the playoffs last year against boston Zach Hyman took 21 shorthanded faceoffs. Everybody else took six. Goche, mm-hmm. Brown, Marner. So on those 21 shorthanded faceoffs, Zach Hyman won five and lost 16. That's brutal. Just brutal. That's bad. So the, it, other, the it, other as guys, you mentioned, Jonas, it hurt the other, them. The other guys combined only took six. Yeah, Goche took three. Brown took two. Marner took one. It was a big so the, problem. The, the, it was a, like like I, I don't know the numbers on that. Like Dom or or someone like that could calculate how many goals that would cost you. 
or how how much possession that would cost you losing that many draws. But if you're, would you say he was five for twenty one? If you're five for twenty one, I yeah. mean that that's less than a quarter of your draw. <laughs> like if your faceoff win percentage is like twenty two percent, um, that that's that's gonna hurt you. And and Kerfoot, yes. is, Kerfoot might not be sixty percent, but he can probably give you a solid fifty or against a really good faceoff guy, maybe forty seven. But that's a hell of a lot better than twenty two or you know whatever the number was. Well, and James, he can keep you. He's a left shot, so he can take those yeah. draws. And Hyman is a right shot. And what they what they've been doing, like, is they they were forcing Hyman to take everything. Like, granted, this year they use Goche more, um, but like you. If Goche loses a draw, he's not really a guy you want out there. No. And as you pointed out to me during the game when we were texting back and forth, they tried Hyman or they tried John Tavares early in the year in that role. Uh, but again, not a guy they want caught out there. Well, and Matthews can't. Uh, so this Matthews, is like a, Matthews said he's never killed penalties before ever, like not even back well, in I like think the line, minor hockey or whatever. I think the line too. I, I think Mike Babcock mentioned it that, that he asked him about it once, and he said he doesn't have any interest in like blocking a shot or doing anything like that. No, I don't think it was like Matthew said he didn't want to do it. Basically, I don't know. Yes. He didn't say he didn't want to block a shot, did he? I don't think. I'm pretty so. sure that's what Babcock said. Hundred percent. Yeah. Not hundred percent. Ninety-eight percent. Gee, I wonder why he's gone. <laughs> well, we talked about about that a lot. But anyway, that's like a small change because if you if you are ranking what cost them that series last year and maybe even the series before that, it's probably like penalty kill one, maybe Nazem Kadri one A, whatever order you you want to put those in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be like an important small little tweak, and their 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 penalty kill looked good. Obviously, uh, scored a couple shorthanded goals again. Like you mentioned, it's not like the Montreal power play is. Uh, a world beater, but that's a, a positive thing. You know, here, let me throw something at you, Jonas, that, that I found in looking at the data. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you, like, the least power penalty kill was what? Like, they were, like, 20th or something like that, like, in terms of percentage. But if you look at some of the underlying numbers, the least penalty kill numbers were pretty good, especially under Keefe. Have you ever, like... If you look I looked at, at that. Yeah, if you look at, like, expected goals and stuff, it's actually... Because I, I, I... They were third. Uh, I think I had them fifth, but... I guess it depends which stat you use and whatever, but like maybe we're maybe the penalty kill is better than we thought it was. Well, yeah, since so the stat I'm talking, I think it was expected goals against per sixty under Keith. Oh, were under Keith. Okay, yeah, I think I looked at the whole year. So, yep. yeah, so that's that's a significant change, and that was like coming to the year that was a concern given that they were asking Dave Haxtall to run the penalty killing unit, and you'd look back to Haxtall's teams in in Philadelphia, not great penalty kills. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the power play can do in the postseason. Uh, as the year went along, like you look at since Sheldon Keefe took over, it's good. But as the year rolled along, it got a little stale. In the last game against Tampa, it actually scored twice and looked good again. Um, but that could that should be a weapon. Like all that well, power, all that talent on one power play should give you an advantage. Do you know where Columbus ranks in penalty number kill? One. They're number one. Yeah, they're num- they're the best. So. That's it, it's going to be one of the best power plays in the NHL against one of the best penalty kills. Um, and the, you know what's interesting too? I'll throw this at you. This is all going to be in my story, but uh, the Leafs' expected goals on the power play is not very good, even though their percentage is very high. Now, I think in some ways that points to a flaw in expected goals on the power play, just because of 
like expected goals doesn't measure if there are like cross crease passes and stuff like that and like some of the puck movement it can't pick up so i think that the, the well reason, look where matthews is yes. shooting from like yeah every time exactly right? it's not exactly high danger exactly but if it you know if the pucks come in from a one-timer from either nylander or marner you know that's a pretty high danger you know expected goals doesn't consider you know which player is taking the shot either which i mean maybe someone can devise a stat that does do that but i just thought it was interesting that the leafs expected goals on the penalty kill was much better than i had remembered and on the power Hmm. play it was much weaker than i had remembered so it anyway it's just some of the minutiae i've been looking at so I have been in the camp that I I think it's fine that they were going back to a second pair of Riley and CeCe. But I have to tell you, in watching the exhibition game, I got a little jittery. Um, I'd put him on the third pair, man. I'd put CeCe on the third watching, pair. Watching some of the the Cody CeCe trying to move the puck, and some of, there was some miscommunication with Riley. He doesn't, that have, kinda, good, he doesn't have good chemistry with Riley. This is, I, I was saying this in preseason last year. That they don't have good Yeah, chem- so it got me a little antsy. Yeah. Riley doesn't understand what CeCe's trying to do a lot of the time, I feel like. like he, he has a Well, hard- no, I think you got that backwards. I don't think – I think it's it's CeCe – hockey IQ is not like his strong no. suit. And so in a lot of situations, he's not reading the game as fast as Riley. So he's not in the spot that Riley thinks he should be in or is going to be It's not a in. good combination. And there's like, breakdowns. If you look at I, – I know like some fans and especially some fans that, that listen to our podcast are really down on CC. But if you look at his results when he was on the third pair playing like 15 minutes a game and killing penalties and playing with um, um, Dermot or um, – who else would he have been playing with? Marincin. Yeah, maybe Marincin. I mean Sandine. like the, the, the numbers look fine. Like, yes, yes, with Marincin or Sandine. They look fine. Like CC. I think can be like your fifth or sixth defenseman and be okay. But I get a little bit nervous like you do. I just don't think it works with Riley. And if you look at the underlying numbers, Riley with Barry was much better. And I know like Barry didn't have a very good game last night either. I mean, that's not happening, man. And that's a bad idea. Well, who are you going to put up with Riley? I think I would do Dermot. I think that I think what you, what you have forgotten is, and especially with the opponent that they're facing. Yeah. Well, the last pair you want to have for a grinding, heavy kind of cycling team like Columbus is Riley Berry, um, and 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 I think it's it's testament to the fact that they did not even play with that once during training camp, like yeah. never touched it. They're done with that. But I'm now kind of inclined to think that maybe the best better solution is to go with Riley and Dermot. And then to take CC out and just have Marinchin or Sandy. I think actually Marinchin is the way that they would go, uh, and I'm not sure that that's the wrong out? answer. Give it CC, and I think maybe you're not going to play him at all. Huh. Well, I just don't know. You're not going to have a third pair of, of CC and Barry. I don't think. Uh, you know that we talked about this all year, but their defense is kind of this weird. I want to call it a shit mix, but that's probably not the right. But it's just like it, like they have all these guys with these weird skill sets that don't like fit together sort of like they're really really lucky that hall stepped up and was as good as he was and fit really well with muzzin and remember they were doing muzzin and barry for the longest time under babcock and it just didn't work and well it was babcock who broke them up and put muzzin with hall actually yeah but like if you look at the results muzzin hall was their best pairing all year it was fantastic and statistically Part of what I wondered with Riley CC is it was it because Riley was hurt or whatever. But then you're right. I mean, you watch in camp. I was watching the the scrimmage I was at in camp. 
I did not like the look of CC with Riley. Did not like it. Well, so what I like about CC there is against a team like Columbus, he's he can do kind of when it's just like physical stuff and he's just got to be around the net. And granted, like he can have those those brain farts too, which is another kind of sticky thing, especially in a playoff series. But this kind of goes back to something we've talked about a lot all year. It, like it goes back to the Barry trade not working, like the Barry trade not solving the issue that you needed it to solve. Well, if you can't trust him on your second the, pair, then then it it's a failure. Doesn't work. It's a failure. Yes. Like he has to be able to yeah. play twenty minutes a game on your second pair. He has to. I mean, that's the like. Yeah. And he's if not he going can't, to. if he can't play better than CC in number four D minutes, then you're right. That 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 trade. That trade failed. I mean, although we are talking about how useful Kerfoot could potentially be and how good he looked. And like, I think that that trade's going to look different if Kerfoot comes out next year or even in these playoffs and has a big year. And I think that that's possible. I think there's more to Kerfoot than we have seen so far. I agree. The problem is a big part of the trade was that you were trying to solve your issue on D and replace Kadri. And you have not solved your issue on D. Well, let me throw this at you. I don't think Dermot looked very good last night. Like he did. Dermot did not instill. I like Dermot. You know what's so interesting about Dermot? Did, did you read my piece about the defense pairings and what they should do and looking at all the statistics and whatever? Like, yeah. I think we think of Dermot as a two-way defenseman or an offensive defenseman sometimes. All of the stats say that Dermot is a defensive defenseman. All of the stats say that he's very good in the neutral zone and, and, and breaking out of his D zone. Almost as good as Riley at the breakout, which is like most people wouldn't say. But like, Dermot might be... The, the only thing is that he makes some really questionable plays with the puck sometimes. So that would make me a little bit nervous. Um, but I don't know that he's going to have big offensive upside. I think that maybe he's going to be more of like a kind of, I don't know. It really looks like next year they're, they're, they're planning on Riley Dermott being a second pair. Like that's what it looks like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember there was a stat. I think it was shutdown line posted some stats about this. Um, but it was like Dermott is really uh, really excels at denying the line. Yes. And you could see He's it. one of the and best I players like, in the whole NHL at that. Yeah. And, and you can see, like, I just like he's, he, because he's such a fantastic skater, he's just able to kind of, like, work his way out of situations and he moves the puck, like, and he's big physically. Like, I, I'm i kind of leaning in that direction, which I did not think um, I would. The question is, like, is he ready for that now? And maybe, like, maybe the answer is... He's more ready than than Cody Cece is going to be, given his limitations. I don't know. Okay, I got the stats in front of me from my article. I encourage people to go read it about what should the Leafs' defense pairs be. Travis Dermott, in terms of uh, possession entries against per 60, 99th percentile. Possession entry percentage against, um, which is a similar stat, also 99th percentile. Uh, Possession exits of the zone per 60, 93rd percentile. If you look at that yeah. compared, you look at that compared to Riley. Riley's as good at breaking out the puck, but denying entries, Riley is not very good at. He's in the fortieth percentile. So, like putting those two together, I mean, obviously, if you're a smart team, you're probably going to try and enter the zone on Riley's side more often. But one of the issues that, like Riley's elite in all these other stats, just not at denying the line, and that's and Dermot's kind of just average at entering the zone with possession and some of the offensive stuff but really, really good at at denying entry to the zone and getting out of the zone, which, uh, anyway, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they probably should go to that. I wonder if what they do, Jonas, is if Keefe does some sort of a hybrid where 
you know, if it's a if it's like a defensive zone draw, you have one pairing, and if it's an offensive zone draw, you have another pairing, and if you're down by a goal, you have one pairing, and if you're up by a goal, you have a different pairing, and I wonder if that's what they do. Yeah, that can be tough to manage. That's, that's For sure. That would be the only thing. Well, and I think um, as a player, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm thinking like for a lower level player, it would be hard to keep switching who you're playing with all the time. Maybe NHL players can do it a bit better, but I think there's some comfort in knowing who you're with and knowing their tendencies. And for whatever reason, Riley and CC have never found that. Like I, I remember writing, I wrote a big, huge thing about CC in preseason last year. And, and, and I talked to Riley and I talked to CC and it just, there was just something that didn't seem to fit there. So it's, that's, that's certainly a concern. And I think it's something that Columbus is a really smart team. I know that they've got some really smart analytics people there they're going to know that CC's a weakness. They're going to know that. You know, they're going to know that the Leafs have a weakness on the right side of their blue line still, as they have the last few years. And it wouldn't surprise me if they try and enter the zone more on that side of the ice. Should have brought back Ron Hainsey, James. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we did We did talk about it. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. Not, I'm not even totally joking. Well, I mean. Uh, I don't know. He is 38, but. I think he's even, isn't he 39 um, now? Oh, maybe he's no. I believe he's thirty-eight. Well, James, um, he's an eighty-one, so he was going to turn thirty-nine at some point. So, most of our listeners, James, as you know, are in and around Toronto. So, what better way to promote your business or theirs than through our show? To advertise on this very podcast, the Leaf Report, just go to theathletic.com/slash/podcast/ads. There you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. James, before we go, um, since I don't think we'll record another podcast until after game one. So just FYI for everyone, we're going to try to record um, the morning after every game. So we're hoping to get it out really quickly in the morning. Um, That's our plan. But I just want to talk a little bit about... um, how much you believe in this team against Columbus and maybe in the playoffs more broadly? Like, is it different from what it was in years past? Like, what do you think? No, to be honest, like I remember going into the Boston series last year and I picked Boston to win that series. And you go back and read what we were writing going into that year. And it was the same kind of things like the inconsistency, the kind of lulls, the, the weak defensive play, the, the issues with the right side of the blue line. Um, I think that Columbus is a less formidable opponent than Boston, and that's why I'm going to pick the Leafs to win this series. I don't necessarily think they've answered the same the questions we had about them last year. Uh, I, I think that I like some of the things that Keefe has done. The team has been better under Keefe. There are some things you can look at. I had them in, in my in my piece the other day. In, in terms of under, under Keefe, some things that have changed that can give you reasons for optimism that uh, that maybe weren't there last year, but here, let me just let me just bring it up. Um, the Leafs have the eighth best record in the NHL since Keefe took over. Uh, they have all of their defensemen, which he did not have during his time. Uh, the Leafs scored more goals than any other team in the NHL since Keefe took over, um, and that was with Riley, Muzzin, Mikheyev missing a lot of time. Uh, the Leafs had the third best scoring chance share and expected goals marks in the Eastern Conference under Keefe. Um, there's and they had the second best power play in the NHL under Keefe. So those are a lot of really positive things that they didn't have last year going in. And those are potential reasons why 
you could potentially believe in this team more uh, than in the past. I think they will get through this play-in round. I think it's going to be a difficult series. I think it's going to be hard. Um, but I don't have any... I mean, they make the next round. they got to play one of the big four. And I don't have great confidence that, that to say right now that for sure they're going to be able to get through that series. Those are all very good points. And you and I are putting together something like a conversation piece uh, for the weekend. And one of the points that you have made, which I do not disagree or couldn't disagree with more, <laughs> is that if they lose to Columbus, it wouldn't be judged as that much of a disappointment. No, I'm, that is, it'll be judged as less of a disappointment than it would have if we didn't have this. Don't. Pen. That's what totally it says. Totally disagree. I know that's it's yeah. It's going to be so judged right. as I'm, less I'm of a disappointment. I'm framing you wrong. It's going to be judged. I don't as less, agree. It's, it's like it just is. Like if, no, if well. they missed the I, what I said is if they missed the playoffs without the shutdown, it would have been like the world is ending, and it's just not going to happen if they lose this series. It's not. There's going to disagree. Gonna, there's going to be all. Tell me why that is. Why? Well, because like the difference between missing the playoffs and being forced into this weird play-in thing that didn't exist in a normal year is completely different. The Leafs shouldn't even have to play in to make the playoffs because they were in a playoff spot. They, what did they have, like an 85% chance of making the playoffs when the shutdown happened? They shouldn't even have to These play the, the playoffs. They shouldn't even have to play this series, Jonas. Like, this shouldn't exist. So, like, if they lose this, they shouldn't even have to play Columbus in the playoffs. Like, that's not the way the playoff format was set up. So, if they lose this series, I think it's disappointing. I think, depending on how they play, it could be a reflection on the team's issues and all of those kinds of things, it's not as disappointing as if they, they, would, they would have missed the playoffs without in a, in a pre-pandemic world. I don't d- disagree with that, but I Well, that's think what I said be... in our conversation. That's, that's what... No, but you said you made it sound like it wouldn't be that big a deal. And no. it would be a big deal. I mean... It would be a big deal. I mean, it's going to depend how they do... play, Jonas. Like, if they outplay Columbus and they lose the series, then I don't, don't think, think it's going to... matter. Well, it matters to like people who like have half a brain that analyze the team and talk about the team. Like, if they're the clearly the better team, and it, it doesn't go their way in a five game series in like this weird ass don't play for five months situation, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely kill if they play well. If they play like garbage, then yeah, then there's something wrong. Like you can't. They've had so much time to prepare for this. This is their chance for a reset to show that they are different. To show that they can overcome these unique circumstances and whatever. Like, I, it, it really, to me, depends how they play in this series. At some point, man, like, you need results. Like, you can't, we can't keep, and this is weird, but they're in this situation because they had a very uninspiring regular season. Like, you, you can't, that, that's part of this. Like, and, and the talent is all there. Um, I don't think it would be... They should win this series, I, I guess is what I'm saying. I and think so, if too. If they do not, that is a big disappointment. Not a small disappointment, not a medium disappointment, a big disappointment. Like, they're just... At some point, a, ta- a team this talented has to make some tangible sign of progress. Like, you can't just keep having these underlying numbers that suggest you're doing things well. Like, at some point, this is sports. Like, at some point, you have to win. But, but the situation, they had no control over this. Like, they went from an 85% Neither chance... Neither does anyone else. Hey, they went from an 80... But yeah, but this didn't happen to everybody else. They went from an 85% chance, or whatever it was, of making the round one down to, like, a what are they at now, 54? They had nothing to do with them. They did not... That was not what they did. The Leafs did not do anything to lose that big a percentage of them making round one. So, like, that portion of missing round one, that's not on them. It's not. 
Like that's yeah, but these are the playoffs. Like we are into the playoffs now. Like this counts as playoffs. It's stupid, but it this is the playoffs. Like if you don't beat the team you're supposed to beat, I don't know what we're it's, doing. Yeah, but it's I know what you're saying. It's but kind I think of you're, not the playoffs though. Like it's it's like eighty percent of the playoffs or something. Like if they so if they get Boston in round one after this, no no one's gonna be no one's gonna give a shit about like the Columbus series like. I don't know. Like, that's what really matters. Like, like they could get Boston or Tampa. I think at Tampa. least you would be able to say, you know what? They, they they showed something. It was a they showed something, and we can point to something and say, like, they have made, uh, like, we can put the marker a little bit further ahead on the the Monopoly board. Like, they're not on Baltic Avenue anymore. I guess what I'm they're saying a is further. That there are going to be caveats, Jonas, that you can point to and say, this 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 totally insane thing unprecedented thing happened that impacted how much we can say about this team as a result of this this series all right well you i mean well, you just if they lose the series you completely bury them on the site like that's like go no for, i'm go for listen, it like i i i'm, I'm not good that's not what i'm, I'm that's I'm, not what i would i'm down that's for, not what i'm saying i'm down for those takes man i, I like <laughs> i like the spice i'm not gonna bury them but i also am not gonna sugarcoat what would be a big disappointment this is a really there's only like you only get so many chances. Like I think you there's this impression that this is going to last forever. Like after this year, Austin Matthews has four more years left on his contract. Like this, this this thing moves really quick. Like no, you can't I, waste. I agree with that. But and, one of the things that fucked this year up was not them. Yeah, and one of the things that did also mess this year up was them. Like yeah, in terms of why they're in this position, like they had a very. Well, scattered regular season. I mean, the that more, is, that's on them. The more I think about it, it almost felt like the first twenty odd games they were playing to get rid of the coach, right? Like, or no, I don't agree with that. You well, know I mean, there were like about that. there were some elements of yeah, but I mean, like they've had the eighth best record under the new coach. So yeah, and like the two seasons before that, what were they under Babcock? Like the sixth? I don't no, know. they were lower than that. I mean, I mean, the year, last year they. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think they were eight yeah. or something like that. I mean, so, they had a hundred points. All right, this has been fun. It's so we got some games here. We got some. We got some real stuff to talk about. We have some games here. So the plan will be Monday morning. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have a podcast recapping, looking back at game one, looking ahead to game two, and then we'll plan to do that after every game thereafter. So James. Um, I should mention before we go on the full 60 this week with Craig Custins, he previewed like the entire play in tournament. So if you want something to kind of get you set for everything, not just Leafs, check that out. Um, and yeah, it's good to actually have stuff to talk about. Amazing, amazing podcast. He had Rick Dudley on the other day and it was really oh my good. God. That guy is, must have worked for every team in the league. He's, he's such an interesting cat too. Like he's awesome. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you for everyone or to everyone for listening. And we will be back after game one. Bye, Jonas. Bye.